Hey friend, Graham Cochran here. Got a special edition of the Graham Cochran Show for you as I'm bringing on a guest to talk to you about how to scale and grow a thriving and profitable business even if you are a solopreneur or have a really, really small team. My guest today is Elaine Pofelt and she is a journalist and she's been the senior editor at Fortune Small Business Magazine where she was twice nominated for the National Magazine Award for her feature stories. And her work's been featured everywhere in Fortune, Money Magazine, CNBC, Inc., Forbes, Crane's New York Business, and many other business publications. She's also a freelancer and she can do blogging, ghostwriting, white papers, reports, eBooks, custom content, academic editing, and a whole bunch of other things. So she's a brilliant writer, but I wanted to bring her on because her new book, Tiny Business, Big Money, just dropped. And it is all about you and I, small businesses, that either have zero employees or we're the only employee in it, or a handful of team members running million dollar plus businesses. So maybe you're not at that million dollar range yet, but she's done incredible research on the subject. And I like that she's coming from an angle of journalism and research, not just her own experience, but what other small micro business owner entrepreneurs are doing. How did they scale? What common factors do they have? We break all that down in today's conversation. I think you're really gonna enjoy Elaine. She's a treat to talk to, she's a delight. And I think you're really gonna enjoy her new book, Tiny Business, Big Money. And even her initial book, The Million Dollar One Person Business, which is a great read. Enjoy our conversation as we dive into the type of businesses you and I run, these small micro businesses that are taking over the world. So here is my conversation with Elaine Pofelt. Elaine, it is so awesome to finally talk to you. We were just having a great conversation before we hit record. Um, I'm so pumped for your new book, Tiny Business, Big Money, um, available in stores now as when this podcast drops. So please, everyone go pick it up. We're going to have a conversation about micro businesses and uh, these small zero employees to five to maybe 10 employees um, in these businesses who are doing a million dollars or more. So Elaine, thank you so much for coming on and just sharing all your knowledge. Oh, thank you, Graham. I'm so excited to be here. I wish I was interviewing you because you have so much knowledge and expertise. <laughs> I'll eventually have to turn the tables as a journalist. Oh yeah, we'll flip, we'll flip the script. We'll do that one next. <laughs> that would be super, super fun. I, um, I found you a few years ago when your first book, which I have right here as well, the million dollar one person business, which is awesome. And I love your subtitle, make great money, work the way you like, have the life you want. Yep. I'm all about that. Um, and I, I heard, I think I heard Tim Ferriss talking about it or he wrote about it in an email. And I, all I remember when I first saw the title of your book before I went out and got it immediately afterwards was like, oh, I'm so glad someone's writing about this because this is a real thing. There are literally business owners who are striving to make either multiple six figures or seven figure business and they've never hired anybody. It never crossed their mind to. And I thought I was a weirdo because that's my story <laughs> twice over. But you 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 made you made like a a, a name you call them micro businesses and I know Chris Gillaboots he talks about micro businesses and I just felt like man someone's championing what I do so I just wanted to thank you publicly for doing the research that you do for people oh, like us. Well, it, my pleasure. You know what's so interesting is these are the majority of small businesses and I don't think anybody knows that. Um, if you look at the census data, you know, just if you followed anything I've done, I'm kind of a geek about data. The probably eighty five percent of them are truly non employer businesses, meaning they don't have payroll. And I think there's been a little bit of a bias against covering them 
in part because there's a public policy push for job creating businesses, which are also great. I love all entrepreneurial companies, um, but I think these are seen as not doing that, so they don't get the coverage. And then there's sort of a, um, you know, excitement factor: go big or go home. You know, the next Facebook or Instagram. And we tend not to realize that most people, when they start a business, are looking to start a business like this and um, really need more information about how to do it in a way that is more lucrative so that they can live the way that they want. A lot of them get kind of trapped in low revenue, and they could do so much more if they knew what the folks who made it to high revenue are doing. I mean, that's why your work is so important, is sharing those best practices. And I, I was so grateful to the nearly 60 entrepreneurs in the book who shared what they are doing, all their secret sauce. They're very generous about their methods and uh, sharing their methods rather. And uh, I so appreciate that. Oh yeah. I mean, I feel like you're, if, if I hadn't started my business during the great recession, when, that's when I started, it was bad economic times then. Um, if I saw your book, it would have finally, I think, given me a name for what I thought I could do because I didn't know there was another option. I didn't grow up around entrepreneurs, so I wasn't exposed to it. So that seemed risky, scary, uh, raising money. All of it seems overwhelming. I'm, I'm a musician and a creative at heart. And so that my background is performance, not like running a big company. And I thought there was those extremes, either you work for someone or you run some big, like you said, Facebook or Instagram. And obviously we know they're smaller businesses, mom and pop shops, your local sushi restaurant, whatever it might be. But even that seems like a lot of work. And I think you're shining a spotlight on, there's an, basically it's an alternate way of making a living. And maybe people don't want to use the term entrepreneur or business, but they want to connect with people, add value in the marketplace and make a living and have a, a simple way to make a living. And man, you, your research is at the right time especially with the pandemic, it's only heightened that. I feel like there's now another class of people that can exist and I'm trying to help them, you're trying to help them. And I just think it's great. It's, I think it's really cool that entrepreneurship has become so much more inclusive since the pandemic, especially um, people had more time now because of not commuting into an office. And there are a lot of people who, like you and I, I you know, my dad was a civil servant, my mom was a secretary, we just weren't exposed to entrepreneurship and our parents raised us to get a steady paycheck. And that was seen as yeah. the ideal. And there's a lot of value in that for a lot of people, but everybody's different. And a lot of us want flexibility. You're a musician. It could be, you know, I have four children, could be personal interests, like a sport that takes a lot of time. And this allows you to have a lot of freedom. What I think is so beautiful is that a lot of people who are like us, who didn't have the exposure, had a chance to do a side hustle and they discovered they're actually pretty darn good at it, something they would have never found out. And they're starting businesses in record numbers. I think SCORE just released numbers saying the number of people who started new businesses last year was 5 million. And it was up from like wow. um, 2 or 3 million a few years back. It's been a very big surge. And I think a lot of them are going to continue doing it either as a side income that they can transition to later, or it will grow to the point that they decide to leave their job. Cause we are having the great resignation too, where people yeah. are just not finding what they want. 
in their office jobs anymore and they're looking for something that's a little more connected to who they are and the lifestyle that they want to lead. And entrepreneurship offers a lot on those fronts. It does. The great resignation is a real thing. I'm, I'm, I'm calling it sort of the great work life redesign because people are quitting because they're now starting to think less compartmentalized. They're trying to like to look at their whole life and how does work play into that? And they don't like what they're dealing with and they want to see if there's an alternative. And you know, we, before we hit record, you kind of mentioned, you know, like, you know, we have a hard stop at, at the end of this call because why you have to go pick up your kids from school, but it's in the middle of the day. How cool is that, that you as a, as a freelancer, as an entrepreneur, get to control your schedule that you can go pick up your kids from school, which is a rarity. It is a rarity in the modern Western dual income. Everyone's working and, and where's there's, there's no time to even be with our kids, let alone pick them up. So I think that's just a, maybe a mundane example, but that is a very real example of why we're fighting for these businesses for people to get started because you can have a more, a a total life and work thing that's integrated well that achieves your goals. And I just, I love that example. It's funny because there is such a career penalty for that. If you're fulfilling your responsibilities as a parent, or maybe you're a caregiver to an elderly person in your family, those are good things. And yet in a lot of workplaces, you're made to feel like you're not committed if you do those things when it really has nothing mm. to do with your commitment. It just means you have a full adult life and it doesn't have to be kids. You could be a, a pet parent. I remember I had a colleague who had a dog who would get really lonely in her house and she felt really bad that we worked really long hours in the office and, and he was alone all the time. It could be it could be any number of things, but you're made to feel bad for having a life outside of work. And I think now with the schools being so unstable, two years into the pandemic, a lot of parents are just throwing up their hands and saying, I, you know, I cannot deal with always feeling like I'm failing because, you know, my school lets out 25 minutes late because they have a labor shortage and there's no person in the parking lot directing traffic or whatever it is, these little things you 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 start to feel very defeated by. And in, a, in your own business, you can just say, look, there's a lot of instability. I'm not going to book any appointments in the one hour after school because we know that this issue is not resolved. And nobody can say, OK, well, that means you don't care about your job and we're firing you. <laughs> And I think that's a huge relief. People are tired. You know, they've done their 25th push-up and their arms are shaking and they can't take yeah. one more stressor and they want joy out of their life. They they want to enjoy their children or their music or whatever their passion is unapologetically. And that is the nice part of having a business is you really can get a lot more joy out of life than you can in a lot of more structured types of careers if you're willing to live with the trade-offs. And there are trade-offs. Yeah. No, it's no, it's not a panacea, but yeah, I think the business is a means to an end. The business is a beautiful thing in and of itself, but it really is a means to an end, which is a, a fulfilling life and a, a life that gives you flexibility and freedom for the whole self. And you listed some great examples. I really appreciate that. Um, let's talk about the book because your research, which is unique, what's unique about you um, is you're building, you've got these two books um, that are built off of lots of data. It's not just one business. It's not just, it's easy to see an article come out and be like, wow, that person did that thing with their business. And it seems like, okay, that's possible. 
but for them and not for me. But you're going across very much like the millionaire next door kind of data that we've had since the 90s where people were actually researching what are the commonalities, what's making this tick. And that's what I love about the new book, Tiny Business, Big Money. Um, one of the things that you mentioned in the book, and one of the reasons why these companies that have either one, one employee, the owner, or just a handful of employees, the one reason they can scale to a million dollars minimum of annual revenue and beyond is automation which I'm a huge fan about. But can you talk about what your research showed when it comes to automation and why that was so integral to these businesses scaling? Almost 100% of the entrepreneurs, there are about 60 in the book, use automation. And that was really interesting to me. You know, in some cases, the business is very heavily automated. One, one entrepreneur has basically all automation and no other team members in the business. Rajesh Srivastava, who runs Price Series, it's a, um, it, it's a provider of information to investors. And he's automated things like a chart that appears on his website about the stock market that day that um, it, it causes his business to rank higher in Google because it's original content. Um, he does have a, a background in big tech, but he doesn't work in that anymore. So he had the capabilities to do it. But you can hire people to do the automation for you. And it's often the first step to offloading some of the work. It's the lowest risk because if you try an app or tool and you hate it, you just don't subscribe to it anymore. You don't have to fire the app, right? It's when you have human beings with feelings, it's a lot harder. Um, and then the next step is they almost all use contractors too. A contractor is pretty low risk because you can try them out for a small project and you see how they do. They don't do a good job. Hopefully you didn't give them like a $50,000 project. Hopefully it was like a $400 project um, that you didn't need to do the next day. And you just don't offer them any more work. And, you know, there's no harm, no foul. Um, eventually it starts to make sense to hire employees for some businesses because you need the people more consistently or you have to follow labor laws. Maybe you're giving them very strong direction as to what hours they work or how they do the work. And right. you never want to go down the path of treating somebody as a contractor if they should be an employee because two years later, maybe the labor authorities will do an audit. And if you made the wrong decision, you could owe a lot of money in, in um, you know, back taxes and things like that. So you have to do it by the book on that front. But there's a lot of in-between solutions, like sometimes using overseas contractors, the laws are different. And, and these folks have used a lot of different methods. Um, they, they've been really so nice about sharing what they use, too, in, in the businesses. I know, um, I'll just read you a few of the ones. Tiffany Williams has an online business. Um, it's called Rich Girl Collective, where she helps other women learn how to do online businesses. And she... Um, Actually, the, her business is kind of interesting. The first one she started was on Teespring. She made T-shirts of Yorkies, those little dogs. And she created yeah. a community on Facebook of people who love Yorkies. And that kind of seeded the sales of the T-shirts. And, and for those who don't know Teespring, it's a site where you don't have to have inventory if someone places an order, it goes through Teespring and they take out all their fees and then you get what's left. So you don't need really any startup capital other than 
to maybe hire a designer if you were going to create, you know, a mug or something like that. You want an original design. Maybe you have design talent. You don't even need to do that. You just upload the designs. Yeah. Um, in fact, my, one of my daughters, she created a little store where she did yoga clothes and she does anime drawings. And she's a teenager. Oh, wow. You know, she she did it with really no startup capital. So it's a, I, I like these examples because most people really don't have a lot of startup capital. But for so for Tiffany, knowing that it's sort of a creative business, she uses Adobe Stock for stock photos, Canva, a design and graphics site, um, ClickFunnels, yep. which is uh, for marketing, um, ConvertKit, which is an email marketing platform, um, and then Podia because yep. she does courses, which is a pretty inexpensive. There's a lot of different course platforms, but I've heard very good reviews of this one. And then Text 180 is a text messaging marketing service. And I thought, wow, I didn't know about a lot of those. Um, and what I recommend is for, for those who read the book, take a, a highlighter, you know, and highlight some of them that are relevant to your business because they're not going to be relevant to each industry equally right you might not ship any products and then you don't need a shipping app and then test them out do the trials and see if you can get back a day or a day and a half of time by using them i mean one one i know that has given me back a half a day every week is a very simple one schedule once a lot of people use calendly there's a few other ones yeah but think about how many times you write back and forth about should we talk on Monday at 10 a.m.? You know, and it's such a waste of time. It, it's much better to use these apps. That alone, if you schedule a lot of appointments, will get you halfway there. And then, you know, an accounting app yeah. or something. Like I use Bench for my mm -hmm. bookkeeping. You you attach all oh, your cool. accounts to it. I found out about it from a podcaster. And everything kind of automatically uploads. And there's sort of an AI element. But you do have access to a real bookkeeper and my books are in beautiful order because of this. And they never used to be. I'd be, you know, it would be a beautiful Saturday. I wish I was doing something with my kids. It's July, you know, and oh, then no. I'm in there doing QuickBooks, ready to kill myself. I never have had that oh. since since I got Bench. And so I'm, I, I'm not saying that's the only one. I'm sure there are competitors to Bench that I don't know about. But just that alone probably gave me back at least two Saturdays a month. And that's the point of these businesses, like and the whole point of passive income is so you can really live your life and not spend it on mundane things that you really don't want to be doing. Um, those are all great examples, super practical. Um, I, I remember, I think when I read Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Workweek, he was the first person and I read it in 2007, the year it came out, I was still working in corporate America at a tech company. I was an audio engineer. And I, I hated, I hated my job. So I went to Barnes and Noble on my lunch break, looking for a book that would like free my life. And there was this book with this guy on a hammock on the cover, and it said the Four Hour Work Week. I was like, well, you, you, you did your research because this is for me. I read the book and I, I returned it the next week because I thought it was a fairy tale. I was like, I, this is ridiculous. I can't do this. But I never I hadn't started a business yet. And then two years later, we moved to Tampa. Global recession. I lose two jobs. I'm starting. A, a business without realizing it. And I rebought the book and I since reread it every year. And, and, and I don't, I don't subscribe to everything Tim does, but one of the things Tim really pushes in that book that I, I always have appreciated is a new look at your time and how you spend your time. And I think you have entrepreneurs who are starting a business who realize a couple things. One, 
either, they either go one or two paths. Either I have to do everything myself. This would be me. <laughs> and so you're going to start to realize this is a lot of work. Like I, I got to write the sales copy. I got to get, how do I get clients? How do I do this? How do I build a website, maintain a website? And so, but they want control. And so they do everything themselves and they burn out or they get exhausted or they resent the new boss that they created, you know, which is themselves, this new job they created. Or they're like, we can just hire a million people and, and then, but they don't have the, the resources or the skill to really manage people or even hire well. And so you can make mistakes either way, but I love the framework that Tim gives in the four hour work week, which is really analyzing all the tasks that your business requires. You mentioned bookkeeping is one of them. And then really going through a three-step process. One is first eliminate. Is there anything that I can actually eliminate? He's a big 80-20 guy like you might be doing a hundred things for your business, but do you really need to do all 100? Could you get rid of 20, 30, 40 that, and it may not make much of a difference on your income. A lot of that for a lot of my students is they spend a lot of time posting on social media and, and they find that, wow, I'm spending a lot of time here, but I don't know if that actually tracks to sales when they could do some other things strategically with content that would take less time. So eliminate first. And then to your point, automate before you even think about hiring after you've eliminated stuff that no one should be doing, not even the robots, then what can you automate to these apps that are lower cost? To your point, you don't have to worry about hiring or firing an app. There's no emotional drama there. Uh, my wife has a company and she manages five or six ladies. And she's like, it's, she's like, I almost would rather work with men sometimes because there's a lot of emotions with all these women. And you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of work to lead a team, but start with the apps. And then what you can't eliminate and you can't automate and a human must do you don't have to do all those things. You could delegate. That's the other one and outsource that. And now we've got amazing resources like Fiverr or Upwork or that can pull together talent, make it easier to find a one-off contractor or someone that can be your regular person for whatever. And those three steps really, I think, help me and my students realize it doesn't have to be me doing it. I can not just build a profitable business, but one that gives me the life that I need. And it's just practical and more it's more affordable than ever to do these things. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think um, Tim Ferriss has had an incredible impact. And it, it's something I didn't really know the extent of until I did these two books. And when I was interviewing people about who most influenced them, his name kept coming up um, in, in an interesting twist. When I worked at Fortune Small Business Magazine, one of my roles was as the book editor. And I almost never excerpted any books because, as we both know, a lot of business books are really boring. And I was always, in, they might have good information, but they're just not a good read. And so we had a pretty high standard. It was Fortune. And I went to lunch one day with the publicist for his book. And if I recall correctly, we were both pregnant with twins at the time and we really bonded. Um, it was like a hot day, like being pregnant with twins. And, um, and, and I complained to her about the lack of these good books that I wanted to excerpt. So a few months later, she wrote to me by email and said, you know, Elaine, I think I found a book that you can excerpt. I think you're going to really like this. And I looked at it and I loved it. And I did actually the first serial excerpt of his book and I was able to um, find out a little bit about his business at the time because in Fortune Small Business Magazine, um, we would only write about businesses with revenue above one million. And he was doing a um, was a, a private label supplements business. I think supplements, he knows a yeah, lot exactly. about e-commerce and 
and running that type yeah. of a business in addition to the empire that he's created now. And I found um, in the million dollar one person business, these were solo entrepreneurs. This book is people in who are at the stage of building more substantial teams, up to 20 employees or yeah. bigger teams of contractors who meet on a more recurring basis. Same thing. A lot of them, I, I think his brilliance is really none of those ideas are unique to him. Like automation has always existed, but he made people understand how they fit together in designing a business and a lifestyle that you want and yeah. made them understand why it's important to learn these things and, and really bring them into your business in a very colorful, inspiring way. I, I love that. Um, in the back of the book, you have a really cool, you have a couple of appendices. One's very short, but it was really interesting to me. Um, it was, what do these tiny businesses that you researched have in common? And uh, one was super interesting to me is that it took the business an average of four years, almost four years to get to a million dollars in annual revenue, which I so I didn't know what the average was. So my story, it took me nine years to do that the first time. It took me three years to do it in the second business. Um, I was a little bit slower than even some of my students have done it faster too. But um, I thought that was fascinating. There's a couple that I was really interested in, but what on that list did you find most interesting, especially when you did the research, so you kind of knew it, but when you put that little list together and you see it all there, like what stands out to you as the most interesting well, that, that was definitely one of those things. I, I don't know why four years is the magic number. And I, I will say this is not a totally scientific study. This is the people in the book. A normal sample size for a survey, I contacted a research firm, would be 200. And so this is, I, I think it was about 50 of the entrepreneurs in the book. But I still think it's significant because I haven't seen this kind of research anywhere. And it's a jumping off point. It's a community. And I hope yes. others in this whole entrepreneurial world will study this more. They hired their first employee on average of four years. So in terms of one of the messages of both books is to keep showing up, right? View your business as a practice. Mm -hmm. You're never going to reap the rewards if you just work on it occasionally, but the, and there's something where you do consistently work on it that happens at four years. I don't know why it's four years. I would love to know more about that. Maybe that's my next project is finding, finding that out. Another thing that was really interesting to me is 88% of them exercise, right? And you think about the lifestyle of some entrepreneurs. When you're starting up, we're talking about balance, but Realistically speaking, sometimes there is no balance in the beginning and you feel guilty just taking a half an hour to go for a mm. walk or go to the gym. It's important. And I think the reason is that you you really have no backup when you're an entrepreneur. That's one of the downsides. Like if you, you're sick, yeah. there's no one to do the work necessarily. If you're in a one or two person business, you're kind of not bringing in revenue or you're disappointing people or having to explain to people why you can't get things in and or deliver the products. So the more healthy you are, the less that happens. You're like a food truck, oh. right? Like if you have a food truck and it's yeah. in the shop, I've interviewed a lot of food truck operators and I'm like, what's the worst part of the business? They're like, the truck breaks down and then we can't sell the truck. Food. It's yeah. the same thing. Uh, not that people are trucks, but you really do have to take care of yourself. So I, I highly yes. recommend that at, at a minimum, everybody go for a half an hour walk for four days a week. The top um, 
type of exercise was yoga, which made me feel good. I'm I like, saw hey, that. Yeah, yoga. Because they're stressed out, Elaine. That's why they're stressed out and they need to calm it down. But it's a mind-body thing too, I think. Um, yeah. You know, you do so get, good. if you do hot yoga or flow yoga, you do get a really good workout without a What's flow yoga? I know, I know hot it's yoga. What's kind flow of the yoga? Same thing, you know. And usually the hot yoga does oh. flow. Uh, you know, it's it's like a little bit okay. more of a quick pace yoga. Um, okay. A little less meditative. It's like they, my school calls it a moving meditation. So you, you know you'll you'll okay. you would be sweating if the room was cold. Um, but strength training yeah. was another one that was popular. Um, there were a yeah. lot of meditators. I I. I've never really been able to meditate. So when I saw 34% of them meditate, I thought, well, that's actually a pretty good number. Um, and yeah. not all of them use business coaches, not all of them use masterminds, but a significant portion do. And I, I think that speaks to how they're yes. really lifelong learners. There's no class. I mean, there are entrepreneurship programs in universities, but the majority, I don't think, go to those. I think they learn on their own. They learn from other entrepreneurs. You and I were chatting before the um, recording started rolling about how a lot of these folks seem to know each other. I don't know how they really meet, you know, that maybe they go to entrepreneurship events or they're in online forums and things, but they're continually learning from other people on the front lines and then testing things in their business. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, I, I think, Anybody who's listening to this, who wants to start a business, has to really make a commitment to that because what you know at the beginning of your business, it's not going to get you to that next level. You really need to be talking to other people. Plus, it's good for your sanity, right? Like these little businesses, you don't have that much contact with other people sometimes. So it gives you a good reason to talk to people and meet them. I mean, I think that's, that's you just hit on that final sort of major negative about a one person or small team business is the isolation, which even gets to, um, introverts. I'm an introvert. I, I'm a lone wolf. I can do this all day by myself, but even I get lonely and like, I need to talk to somebody else. And then also just to bounce ideas off of. Um, and so that is a negative. And I think to your stats, I mean, you've got in the book, here's this 45% of them belong to an entrepreneurship group. So almost half of them are in a group, let alone just listening to a podcast that's, I mean, I see that in my experience. I, I have a community that was started because people begged me for it. Like I need to talk to other people. Where can you vent about something that your, your friends won't understand or, or, or identify with? Where can you ask good questions? Where can you share your wins and celebrate unique specific wins to this type of business where other people say, oh, I know, I know exactly why that's a win because I'm trying to do the same thing too. So I think that community piece is important. And it's interesting that when I look at all these things that they have in common, you know, I thought I was going to see this list and look at like, you know, they all have this tactic in common or, or something, but it was really, a lot of them are self-care, exercise, meditation, business coach, belonging to an entrepreneurship group. If you're a one to, if you're a one person business or you're the main person in the business, you are the asset. If you don't take care of your, yourself, then as the asset, the business won't exist as an asset. So it really, that was, I, I, I think this it's really true during the pandemic too, because we've been through so many ups and downs and one thing many entrepreneurs have seen is income fluctuations because maybe some of your clients got hit or market conditions changed or you're having supply chain issues. Could be supply chain issues in your house. I know 
I do six loads of laundry a day and my dryer broke. And the guy came oh. here yesterday. He's like, I'm so sorry, ma'am. The, um, the part is on back order. I'm like, it's on back order. That means I have to hang dry six loads of laundry every day for the indefinite future. That takes my time up. And it's not something like, you, I don't know if there's a person I could hire to come in and do that. I don't want to spend Saturday at the laundromat. But little things like that too can stress you out. They're, they're not earth shattering, but um, you know, it's really important to connect with other people who have this lifestyle where if you don't work, you don't get paid and understand that um, because that's not the case for everybody. Like if all your friends are school teachers or, you know, they have a different type of a career where their income pretty much keeps coming. It's it's hard for them to lose their income. So yes, you may feel like you're just the only one struggling. Whereas if you talk to a group of entrepreneurs, they know exactly what you're talking about and they accept that. I mean, the, because there's risks to having a job too. Like if you don't have a, a government job, yes. you work in the private sector, things can happen where you lose your job and then you've lost your whole income. And Even the government yeah. can shut down, right? It'll happen. People don't, they don't have a paycheck anymore. Yeah, that anymore. is true. Actually, some of them yeah. have, they do lay people off. Um, I think it's just really important just for your mental health and and just feeling excited about your life and as a way to make friends yeah. too. Cause we, we all need friends and it's harder as an adult to make friends because you're like living your yeah. busy life with all your responsibilities and you can't just go to bar night every night and meet your friends, you know, as you get a little older. Um, yep. So I think all of it is really, it's telling, but next time I'm going to ask them about their tactics too. I have a lot of case studies yeah. because one thing I found, and you probably find this too in your work is, you could have five different e-commerce businesses and they're all going to be run a little differently. They can all be equally successful, have the same number of people yeah. and have the same revenue, but the way they get there is different. And so there's not really a linear path. And people, sometimes they get people that are like, can you kind of create a recipe for this? And it's no, the answer is no, I cannot do that because it, like you mm. said, you're an introvert, right? There, there are ways of selling if you're an introvert that would be ideal. You can be just as successful as, as selling as somebody who's the biggest extrovert in the world, whereas maybe they wouldn't like the methods of selling that you use because they feed off of being around other people constantly. Yes. And there's a big component of understanding yourself and how you like to do things, not worrying about what other people are doing. Brian Dean, who I mentioned earlier, he doesn't like meetings. I actually personally hate meetings yeah. too. And um, he runs the whole business off of a, a tool called Notion. He doesn't have any meetings. Mm. And I thought, well, that's really liberating, wow. right? Like he just had a nice exit. He ran a very successful business. He doesn't have meetings. He doesn't, you know, that's his personality. Other people must, you know, maybe they love Sounds meetings. Sounds great. They can have all the meetings yeah. in the world and their business will thrive. <laughs> and, and I think that's the thing yeah. that you see with, with these types of case studies when you interview them is you can personalize yep. and customize this heavily, but the key is execution. Whatever method you choose, you yes. have to just consistently do it or it doesn't matter how good your ideas are about using Notion. If you don't ever use it to manage the people, sure. it, it won't help you. Um so that that's what I took away. And I will never, I don't think I'll ever create anything that has like sort of a cookie cutter system for doing this type of business because I just see it so quirky and unique to each person. 
And that's what I, I, I love. It. And that's what I think is so great about the book is the case studies is the deep dive. And that's what I appreciate about your research is it's a different way to present what a lot of people like me are trying to teach because you're doing it from a, an interviewer standpoint, a journalist standpoint. Like I want to get to the bottom of this standpoint. So I, I just, everyone listening to this and watching this, pick up the new book by Elaine, Tiny Business, Big Money. Check out her first book too. The Million Dollar One Person Business is fantastic. Um, I'm so excited for you. I wish you the best of luck with this book launch and with everything you've got going on. I'm excited for whatever the next book will be as well. So just thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thanks for your research and thanks for sharing it with uh, my audience Thank you today. so much, Graham. And uh, one thing I wanted to say was I, I love hearing from people who either have a great case study or who have questions because it makes me a better journalist. So if anyone's listening and they have some questions we didn't cover or just want to introduce themselves, I'm on LinkedIn or, and Facebook and Twitter under my full name. Feel free to write to me. I do write back. I, I really do think it strengthens my research to know the questions that you have. Um, so, uh, you know, please send me a note and uh, keep in touch. We will link to all of that below as well. So you guys can keep in touch with Elaine. Thank you, Elaine, for your time. Thank so excited you so for much, you. Graham. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Elaine Pofelt. Her new book, Tiny Business, Big Money, is available in stores today, anywhere books are sold. Go support her. Check it out. I think you're really going to enjoy all the interviews she did with all these business owners. And check out her first book too, The Million Dollar One Person Business. It's directly geared towards people like you and me. And I think it'll show you what's possible without having to have a massive team. If you want to get started on your million dollar one person business, then consider downloading my free guide, 30 Day Online Income Jumpstart. This is a simple PDF that walks you through a four-week plan to to launch your business, to start from zero and go to making money in 30 days. Will it be a million dollars in 30 days? Nope. It'll more likely be a few hundred dollars, but it'll be the start of an online business that you can scale and grow from there to six figures and then eventually to seven figures and beyond. It's the same business model that I use for both of my seven figure businesses. It's a free guide. It's just bullet points. It's a weekly checklist. It's super easy to follow. And so many of my students have taken action on it and gotten an amazing result. So check it all out at grahamcochran.com slash jumpstart. It's grahamcochran.com slash jumpstart. Have an amazing day. We'll talk to you on another episode real soon.